The Sticky Bandits are out of prison and they're planning a big job for Christmas, but luckily Kevin McAllister's in the neighbourhood, and his very particular set of skills are ready to save the day in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut, I am Peter and the filthy animal sitting across from me is David. It's a nice night for a neck injury. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we are here today to talk about Home Alone 2. We did the first one last week. We're working through the entire franchise of the bloody things. So uh, after this, we're really in interesting territory. Yep. But uh, this is the, the one sort of, I'll, I'll just say it, proper, true, real sequel <laughs> to the first one in that we have Macaulay Culkin back. We got Pesci. We got Stern. This is Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. And we will start spoiler-free, of course, as we always do. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've obviously both seen this before. I think me more than you, but you have at least seen it in the past at some point. Yes, but there was a lot of stuff that I guess I just completely forgot about. That's and fair. Watching it back this time, I was pleasantly surprised. Okay, okay. Uh, so we'll get into it. obviously the big premise for this because because obviously they wanted a sequel. It was a big hit, and oh, yeah. Lightning is going to strike twice again, much like Die Hard. Somehow it's another Christmas. He's going to be on his own. Uh, mm-hmm. Much like John McClane with terrorists in a location of some sort, uh, but they don't want to just do the house again because that would be kind of boring. Like, I mean, I, I, and I can see how you could argue that okay, they want revenge; they're going to come back to the house, but you have to somehow leave him home alone again, and that would be yes. a, a whole thing. So this time, instead, he gets on the wrong plane and ends up alone in New York City. Hence the title. And mm-hmm. you know, I'll leave it there. You know, I'll leave everything else for spoilers. We'll get into it. We'll give our general mm-hmm. thoughts. We'll talk about um, what it does differently, what it does the same, and just general feelings on the matter. Yeah, because, you know, I think on the internet, I, I do see a lot of negativity. This is just a, a copy and paste of the original film. It's just doing the same mm-hmm. beats. And it's seen as kind of a, a just a Hollywood sequel with not a lot of uh, weight to it. And yeah. I'll push back against that a little bit because I actually do think there's enough ingredients in this to make it a very worthwhile movie. I don't think it's as good as the first one. I'll say that. It's not as tight a film. It's not, you know, there's definitely some more cartoony things that they've thrown in, mm-hmm. uh, some moments that, that we'll point out. And there is one kind of, there is one thing that I think they repeat that I think they shouldn't have repeated and it takes up a lot of time and we'll talk about I th- that. I think I know which one you're having a problem with because I, I have the same problem. I think you probably do, but we'll, we'll save that for spoilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we can kind of broadly say what it is before then, but before we get to that, David, yes. how do you feel about Home Alone 2 Lost in New York? I think that if I could somehow watch this in a vacuum without having seen the first one, I might actually enjoy it more. I might hmm. actually think that it is a superior movie in a lot of ways because it does a really good job of expanding where I think needed to be expanded and then just balancing out the different plots. However, because I have seen the original, I do agree in large part with the internet that says a lot of this is copy and paste where I think they could have done something unique, done something interesting with it, especially being set in this brand new setting. Um, Obviously, a lot of it is callbacks. A lot of it is purposeful references to the first movie, but there's... I, I, there's probably two or three subplots in this where 
it doesn't feel different enough to earn the fact that it got a whole nother movie from it. So mm. all in all, because the original one does exist and I can't view this in a vacuum, I'd say this is actually slightly lesser than the first one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say it's a weaker film. Like, I, mm. I think there's still a lot to enjoy here. I think for me, like, there is nothing to compare with the first film when it comes to the trio of characters at the hotel led by mm. Tim Curry. Like, I think they're immensely entertaining. I like a lot of the hijinks between them and Kevin, and I'm, we're going to talk about that when we get into spoilers, of course. Uh, yep. I think all of that stuff is great. It makes it feel very different. Um, I think there's an interesting motivation for Kevin. Uh, don't get me wrong. I do think they do they do the sequel thing where it feels like a lot of the lessons from the end of the first film have maybe been <laughs> slightly forgotten so they can have some arguments and stuff. They don't remember a damn thing from the first movie. They reference it. They know it happened. <laughs> but in terms of any morals, they don't remember a damn thing. But I will say, like, his motivations to do what he does as we go into the third act and all that, I do think are quite good and quite interesting. Mm. And I said last time it was kind of like the birth of a superhero. In this movie, he chooses to act as a superhero. And we'll talk yeah. about that in, in the movie. And I think that stuff's great. I think... Mm. Uh, there's you know there is definitely some times where it's like this is also kind of a tourism ad for new york <laughs> where it's like look at how great new york is visit it it's great and yeah, yeah i mean i feel like everything that has new york as a prominent setting rather than just a casual backdrop is that though uh, i feel fair. like it is always just an ad for new york I, there's, there's, there's a montage when he first gets to new york where it feels mm -hmm. like it's going through here's the sites here's the big things you can do in new york yeah. we're gonna do all this um here's two big things that you can't do anymore in new york <laughs> oh we'll talk we'll talk about yeah some some things time has not been kind to and it's no fault no. of the movie but yeah i, I think all that stuff is is hit and miss but i do think the way it plays upon in some there's definitely some little things where there's like okay they didn't have to repeat this exact moment from the first one but then there's other mm -hmm. ones where it's quite smart and it'll do like a oh you expected this because of the first one so it'll play on it it'll evolve it in a little way and right. i enjoy it when it does that and i think that's really good uh, mm -hmm. the big thing that i they did not need to do again because it feels really forced this time because they're doing it again is the character who Kevin is scared of at first, but is yes. actually sympathetic later on. God. Not only they... not only is that a problem because they're repeating it, but also everything with this character feels much less natural than the first one did. It's a lot more contrived to make mm -hmm. it work. You know, like, at this time, it feels like Kevin gives this character a therapy session, whereas in the first one, it felt like a more yeah. natural exchange between him and the old man, but, you know. The, the 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 first one has an entire setup of here's the reason why Kevin is afraid of this person. Yes. And they, they go through this whole long thing. Whereas this movie, he just sees her and that seems to be enough. And then, mind you, there's a scene later on in the movie where he's going down basically a back alley street and there's tons of frightening characters who you should be afraid of, <laughs> but none of them quite gather that same no. reaction from Kevin. No. Actually, that's probably the one thing like, against what I said about it being kind of a tourism ad for New York. There, it, It's mm. that until it's conveniently it wants you to be concerned for Kevin's safety and all of a sudden yo, yeah. there's, a, there's a mugger with a gun around every street corner in New York. It's scary out there. It's dangerous. All of a sudden he's down on the west side. Oh God. <laughs> he's going down Crime Alley. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there was there was an entire sequence where he scattered a bunch of pearls all over the floor. Yeah, but so... this was intentional though. This was, this yeah. was, that, Bruce Wayne can never. 
right <laughs> <laughs> so i so i i think like that that character is the biggest negative of this movie and mm. the movie drags and it's not even really for that long but it feels like a while when we get it's the not, scenes but... it's not that it's a long time it's a full stop that's yeah. the biggest problem so i think that is a, a very fair complaint it is by far when i'm rewatching this movie the movie's a bit longer than the first it's a full two hours and i don't yep. think most of it has much of a pacing problem but it's not as tight as the first one and that character is the biggest problem with the pacing is that yeah. it does just interrupt things um what's interesting about the pacing actually is that it probably gets to the situation quicker than the first one does because you don't have to establish uh, the characters quite the same way. But mm-hmm. there's more setup once he's in New York because we have to establish a lot of different things once he's there because he's not just in a house yeah. anymore. He, we have to establish where he's going to go, how he's like you know protected and all that stuff. So, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too much into spoilers here, but I don't and don't think that. Well, <laughs> it's not it's not really much of a spoiler, but. I, there's there's two separate groups of antagonists in this movie that this movie has to spend time setting up both of them. Mm-hmm. We have, of course, the Return of the Bandits, and we also have the hotel staff, as you said. And I think the hotel staff is honestly a misstep. Not in that oh. I dislike them. I think the hotel staff is great. They're funny. They're a good job. But they are dropped like a hot potato halfway through the movie, and they are not used for the remainder of it. I think they should have been mm. the focus of the rest of the movie instead of the return of the bandits. I, yeah, I, I see what you're saying in terms of like a structural thing, where it does feel like mm. they kind of their time in the movie is mostly done, barring a couple of little scenes at mm. a certain point. I think maybe you could. Maybe you could do something else with them in that last chunk, but I do I do like having the bandits back because I do think them already hating Kevin's guts is a really interesting dynamic to play with and why I'm yeah. glad they are back. As much as there's a bit of a, you know, yeah, they bump into him in the largest city in the world kind of thing. There's a bit, you yeah. know. So it's no, a bit I, contrived. I mean, honestly, but... I think the best thing that could have happened is just keep the hotel around for the whole movie. Don't Don't go to this separate location later on. Just stay in the hotel the whole time have all the traps at the end be in the hotel. That's tough. I mean... Is it? I think I think it is. Oh, yeah, I think it's tough. I, I mean, maybe you could do a thing where he earns the trust of the staff and they end up helping mm-hmm. him or something. Like maybe you could do it. And then maybe that also takes away this other character he has to befriend. Like, you know, no. Like, mm-hmm. there's a more of a, a, an arc to them where they sort of become allies of Kevin by the I want to know more about Rob Schneider. <laughs> Tell me how he became this bellboy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a complete change. Of, like, taking the movie as it is, I think... Right. So much of what I like, though, about Kevin's choices and why he even bothers with the House of Traps at the end of this one... I really mm-hmm. like that, and that's kind of taken away if it's just still in the, yeah, the hotel. It, so there's it. a lot of like, other things that would that would remove as well, which I do think would mm-hmm. be a shame. So, uh, but well, you know, we'll to, I think just broadly, obviously, a lot of the same themes are back. So the music still sounds great. Uh, mm-hmm. We have uh, the new setting, which you know they, they do this thing where there's a prominent toy store that's a big part of the plot. And what yes. I like about this is that because we don't have the Christmas you know decorated house the whole time. This is how they give you... Because this place is like Christmas like and a drug that has been injected oh, into your veins. It's Santa's workshop. Yeah. Like, it's just 100% exactly how you imagine that to be. I think that's great. I think I think that the bandits are funny again. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I, I enjoy all their little bits uh, building up to all the stuff that goes on later on. So, you know, all that's good. And I do think it 
pays it pays off a few of the running gags from the first one with a new kind of iteration on it um mm. one of my favorites is right near the start uh where kevin's quite happy to call out how much of a cheapskate uncle frank is and i actually really enjoyed that moment oh yeah they, they have this moment in the beginning where kevin is still obviously a kid but now he's not afraid anymore because that was this whole thing in the first yeah. part so he's very outspoken and he's very much willing to call people on their bs yeah and he calls him a cheapskate and everyone goes quiet and i love it because they all know he's right yeah <laughs> they all know it's true <laughs> everyone's there to defend buzz and then it comes to uncle frank and it's like well i mean he, i mean he yeah. is he has a cheapskate yeah yeah oh, yeah absolutely uh so yeah, I mean, I think we'll just give the spoiler warning so we can start talking about the movie then, because I feel like mm -hmm. we'll just be dancing around stuff uh, if we um, don't. The one thing I did want to say is we praised in the last movie how John Williams basically made a song that is just a Christmas carol. Mm -hmm. Like, he just made a new Christmas carol. He just did that in his weekend off. Um, no, it was, it was also... paid for it. It was this is literally I his mean, day yeah. job. But yeah, go oh, on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he made a new song in this honestly not nearly as good i don't i yeah. it's it's not i i heard it i heard them singing it i could not tell you how it goes even right now 24 hours later look you asked him to do miracle work and he did it you ask him to do it a second time you get a decent job okay like fair enough you know it's it's, it's yeah. diminishing returns and all that i mean even then the the because the somewhere in my memory is the theme to home alone it's all throughout this movie still in addition to the new song that he made. So, yeah. well, what, what do you want me to do? Make a sequel and do no original new music for it? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's why it's sticking more in my head. Okay. The, yeah. the older theme than the newer one because it didn't it didn't have to split time. But, but, this uh, is like a yes, custody but, case. And on the other hand, though, it means that even if you don't like that new track as much, you still spend most of the movie listening to the same themes from the original. Oh, yeah. So you're still in good hands by and large. Look, is it so much for me to want two iconic Christmas songs in two years' time? Look, he was too busy. I mean, this is after all this, but he was too busy making the iconic Superman theme and the iconic mm. Star Wars theme and the mm. iconic E.T. theme. Shall mm. I keep going on? But no, no, this is... Do you know what he was probably doing when this movie came out? It's 1992. He was writing the theme to Jurassic Park right now, David. Yeah, I'm seeing that. That's what he was up to, right? So... <laughs> I'm trying to picture him looking at that star on the hotel and <laughs> da -na 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 -na. I think it would work. Look, he was a busy man, all right? Uh, so what? He phoned in Home Alone 2. Just uh, give, give him a break. I will never forgive him. How dare he? Home Alone 2 is <laughs> perfect except for the score. Oh, uh, dear. So, yes, Home Alone 2. Spoilers from this point on. You've been warned. Yes uh so i i like the logo actually where they put like the the skyline mm -hmm. next to the little house and the and the logo it's a simple little thing I, I like that they did that only because as i was looking at the credits they are completely identical for the first like two and a half minutes of the credits mm -hmm. when the names come up it's all the same in the exact same order until finally you get and tim curry uh rob schneider was already there as well thank you very much was he build a top he was Tim in, Curry? He, he was in one of the, the... No, he wasn't... Tim Curry got the and Tim Curry. He got the final credit. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, like, Schneider was already mentioned by that point. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, we, we actually did lose a few of the kids, not because anything bad happened to them, but because 
we have the kids of the main family we have the kids mm. of uncle frank and his wife but the kids who belong to the couple who were living in france because that's why they were going to paris last movie they are mm-hmm. not here so there's actually two or three kids less than yeah. last time no, it's, a, no, it's not a big deal it's just something i noticed this time pour out a drink for giselda whatever who cares I don't even know how close or far away that name is from being accurate. I'm sure it's very far away. <laughs> Probably. Uh, so it sets, you know, there's a bunch of things here. It does the, there's some setup for later payoffs. Like, you know, Kevin's mm-hmm. got this like recorder that he's using to record things uh, throughout the first part of the movie. We see an yeah. ad for the hotel on TV and he's complaining because he doesn't want to go to stinky Florida for Christmas. And you know, he's got some points. He's like, like no Christmas trees in Florida. And they're like, mm-hmm. which... To be fair, like I've never had a real tree in my life, so I'm sure I'm sure Florida's still full of the fake ones. But yeah, oh yeah, you know, like he's upset about this. And look, 1990s Florida is a lot different than modern day Florida, but I hard agree with Kevin on this. <laughs> of, there's no reason to go to Florida. And all, all I could uh, so one of my favorite lines of the whole movie is actually in this scene, and it's once. Mm-hmm. So remember last movie. We had the, I'm not allowed to watch the movie because Uncle Frank said blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, if, if Uncle Frank said that, it must be really bad. Yeah. Uncle Frank to- topped himself for this one because he's told, to, Tevin's told, he's already packed his suitcase, which is growth from the first movie. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, go get your tie because you've got this like music recital thing tonight. And he's like, oh, I can't, it's in the bathroom. I can't go in there. Uncle Frank's in the shower. He's like, well, just, you know, just dip your head in and take it. It's not a big deal. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, Uncle Frank said that if I see him in the shower, then I'll grow up never feeling like a real man. And the look on <laughs> Kevin's parents' face after he said... Because Uncle Frank basically just said, if you see how big my dick is, nephew Kevin, <laughs> you'll just feel emasculated for the rest of your life. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't take it that far, but yeah, that's kind of the subtext. That's, that's, that's the text. That's not a subtext. That's the text. Yeah. So I mean, I I think that in terms of lines given, because in the first movie there was a whole sequence here at the beginning where everyone's just talking down to Kevin the whole time, and we do kind of get that later on. But I think that the best sort of talking down to line is delivered by Uncle Frank immediately afterwards, where he's singing in the shower and then he just yells out as soon as he sees Kevin, like "Get out of here, you!" filthy little pervert before i like <laughs> like break your nose or something like that i can't remember what the threat was but it was just just a filthy little pervert line oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure nephew kevin's just wanting to get a, a look at you frank mm-hmm. in the shower i'm sure that's yep. what this is for uh, i don't think anyone's wanted to look at frank in the shower but yeah uh no nah, so they they keep the gag as well of uh, uh kieran culkin uh, wet in the bed which there's a couple of references to it near the start but my favorite thing is at the very end when we see them all sleeping in the hotel it, the camera pans along them all on couches and like fold-out beds and whatever yep. and it gets to this big king-size bed and he's in it on himself with empty coke cans around him and everyone has refused to sleep in the bed with him so he's just got this bo- and i'm like do you know what i think this guy's like he's conning them all this is just a scheme oh, yeah he's no set doubt. up his own reputation just so he can have big beds to himself no matter what yep. He's been able to control his bladder for like three, four years now. He's fine, yeah. but he just keeps that rumor going. Absolutely, this is just something he's he's churning. Uh, I also I also like how beginning to end of the movie, the whole time we have officially switched from Pepsi to Coke the entire <laughs> way through. That's right. It was Pepsi in the first movie, so clearly yep. the, the the marketing deals came in were a little bit yep. different this time. We're like, look, Coke's making a real push to be Christmas friendly. We got the whole Coke polar bears thing 
Can we uh can we be in Home Alone too? Yeah, I never mentioned this, but uh, seeing the co- uh, the Pepsi cans from that movie in that time period mm-hmm. weirded me out because Pepsi to me is the blue brand, but those the cans mm-hmm. from that time period are still mostly red, so like, it's weird to me. Yeah, I, I just because I, I don't remember them ever being red, and maybe they were no, in the same. UK. But when you see these old movies and it's like mostly red and white, with just you know, there's a little bit of blue in the logo, but that's it. It's like no, that's mm-hmm. weird. Yeah, but, no, that's just the power of branding over our entire lives. Yeah. This doesn't look right. Whereas last movie when he was in the supermarket and he picked up a a, a cart and a Tropicana, I'm like, that looks the same. Like, that's not changed in 30 <laughs> <Exactly>. plus years. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there's a whole recital thing and there's, uh, we need a reason to get Kevin in trouble at the start of the mm-hmm. movie. Uh, oh, by the way, we did gloss over the reason why they sleep in this time is because Peter goes to like unplug something to get the rechargeable batteries out <laughs> and it yeah. resets the clock. <laughs> and again, like this just goes back to, I praised the first 20 minutes of the last movie with how tight it was, how everything fed into each other. Mm-hmm. This just felt a little bit more lazy. It, it just was, felt like, it's because we need it, a reason for the alarm not to go off, whatever. Yeah, it was on its own. That said though, one of the things that I didn't mention about the first movie actually, and it's, it's mm-hmm. only because it recurred here, but with a different kind of reason, so in the first movie, when they all went to bed, we got the creepy Home Alone music as we looked up at the moon, and this was when the storm like knocked out the power and all that, right? Mm. But it had like a sort of eerie kind of like vibe, not like a proper spooky vibe, but just like a like oh mischief is happening in the night that's going to you know fates intervening to like do all this stuff that's going to get the movie going. It mm. happens again in Home Alone too, although this time it's just to show the newspaper or the bandits have escaped out of prison. Yeah, up again. But I did I did appreciate them doing that moment again though. It's like okay. This is the rules of Home Alone. You have to have this spooky little moment at night to set up some of the plot, you know? Uh, I appreciate that. Anyway, so <laughs> they go to this thing where Kevin's going to have a solo. He's hanging in a choir for Christmas and he's going to have a solo. It's like December 22nd or something around there. Because mm-hmm. he's in New York. He's only in New York for like a day before Christmas Eve. It's not actually that much of time he's there. Yeah. Uh, so his solo is coming up and when his solo comes up, Buzz takes these little like electric candle things they've got and starts doing little things behind his, his ears and makes them look silly. Mm-hmm. And every, the crowd start laughing. So Kevin's like, why are they laughing at my solo? This is bullshit. And mm-hmm. obviously at the end of it, he turns around and catches Buzz and pushes Buzz. And it starts a chain reaction that makes everyone fall down, leading to, I think it's the tree falls into the piano and this old woman at the piano goes flying off the stage. Yeah. This is this is a Rube Goldberg for the ages. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, hard cut to, to Buzz, and, and he's like, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we're here today to talk about what I've done and how apologetic I am. And he's, like, talking to the family and apologizing for his prank. But the whole mm-hmm. time it's very insincere, and you just, like, it cuts to Kevin's fate. And I appreciate this. As much as Kevin's been a little shit, Buzz is lying, so I'm kind of on his side. I'm like, yeah, F Buzz. Yeah, you tell them that he's full of shit. Do it. I I love, because no one else gets any more character development in terms of the kids. It's only Buzz. Yeah. But I love the fact that between movies, Buzz has decided to pivot to this, like, trying to seem like he's going to become something in life while still just being a bully behind the scenes. Yeah, he's pretending to be a man. He's pretending that he's grown up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like even when we get to the end of the movie, he makes this like nice little speech sort of thing to the family, trying to act like he is a grown up. But I would love to see a Home Alone follow up where it's Buzz being like a politician, because that just seems exactly where oh, he's okay. headed. Here's the pitch then: Home Home Alone mm-hmm. twenty twenty seven, right? 
Buzz yeah. is the mayor of Chicago, say, right? What does it matter where? But let's just say Chicago, because that's where they're from, right. right? And it's like White House Town. Terrorists mm. take over the mayor's <laughs> mansion. And his brother, Kevin McAllister, is the only one who can come in and take out all the terrorists with crafty traps that he's going to start setting up around the building. Come on. It rates itself, practically. I, I do enjoy it. So it's just White House down. But it's got Buzz and Kevin as yes, but the less leads. less guns and more paint cans and nail guns. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, and it's, cri- it's, to- it's Christmas, obviously, as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, there's there's yeah. paint cans above the Lincoln bedroom. Yes, yes, it perfect. Is. Absolutely, this is this is the pitch. So, so Kevin's like, look, that was that was a bunch of bullshit. I'm not apologizing. I'm, I'm not sorry. I get humiliated and I defended myself. I ain't apologizing for shit. So yep. he's sent to the attic and... Screw you, Uncle Frank. <laughs> and so the, that, like, the mom comes and talks to him in the attic and she's like, hey, last year you made a bunch of wishes and they kind of came true. He's like, well, maybe I hope they do it. I, like, and this is the only thing... And it's a kid's movie, so I kind of let, let away with it a little bit. But like mm. Kevin does specifically... I wish I could go on my own vacation away from the rest of the family. Okay, you've been a bit on the nose movie about like yeah. him just telegraphing what the rest of the movie is going to be. Like last year, his his wish only came true to him. His wish was yeah. make my family disappear, and he believed it, but it didn't actually come true. Whereas this movie, he he may as well have said like, I want to be able to go to the Plaza Hotel and buy a whole bunch of room service, and then I'm... <laughs> it's just well, a bit on the nose. I will say though, I do appreciate that when everything happens, I do like the the change, and it's a, it's kind of a subtle one, but I appreciate that Kevin in this movie always understands pretty much what's happened. Like, he understands that he's mm. got on the wrong plane, he's ended up in a different city, and he knows it's not permanent. He knows that eventually this is going to come to an end. So when he's, you know, spending a ton on room service and he's just having the time of life on vacation, he knows it's mm. a temporary thing. He, whereas the first movie, you know, like you say, he thought he'd wished his family away and that they're not coming back. Yeah. So I appreciated that he always had that kind of different perspective this time. And mm-hmm. it's more like, okay, it's just a matter of time until this is over, but he's going to make the most of it while he has it. So that was at least like a little thing. It was like, okay, he's grown up a touch because he understands the context a bit better this time. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so sure enough, uh, they, they do the, 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 the expectations thing where they're, they're rushing in the morning again to get to yeah. the, the vans. They count out the tickets and she's like, shit, where's Kevin? And then he just turns around from the front seat. Oh, it's a good thing that uh, I've got my own ticket. Don't want you ditching me this year. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. That was that was good. This was a little yeah. funny little dig at the Because it, it is essentially, not shot for shot, but it's very similar of the same sort of opening. You got the two airport vans pulling up. So it's oh, meant to make you think, oh, they forgot him up on the third floor again. Although I will say, uh, and this is just one of those little moments that's a little too cartoony, is that when they wake up late again and they go, we did it again. I'm fine with them saying that. It's when they both run to the front of the bed and look at the camera and just like scream. Yeah. It's like, okay, that was, that was a bit too much. A bit too cartoony. Yeah. There's a couple moments like that in here. Uh, I think, you know, not skipping too far ahead. The moment where she screams Kevin again. Yeah. But this time she faints. It's, it's a bit much. I don't think that was needed. Yeah. Although I actually do and yes for the video viewers i've magically changed it into a different top uh, he stripped on camera i was very concerned <laughs> david was so turned on you have no idea guys <laughs> all right so i do as much as it is a very cartoony moment right there's like there's some other cartoony moments that i do like and i appreciate look 
almost just by accepting that something this extreme can happen to this family again inherently you have to sort of treat it with a bit more okay it's just a movie don't take it too seriously and one of the more cartoony moments that i do like that don't take me out of it is that scene where she faints at the end where they're like hey pass this bag to kevin and it goes down the line of like all the family like pass this to kevin pass this to kevin pass this to kevin and it gets to little kieran culkin he turns around and he's not there and he's like kevin's not here so it starts passing up the line again Mm -hmm. to go back to the parents and it gets back to the mom and she says oh kevin's not here and passes the bag to her husband and he's like what and she's like and she just sort of giggles a little bit goes kevin and then faints because it's this more i I actually really like that scene it's a bit it's it's, it's, it's definitely goofy and it's comedy this idea that none of them react to it until the end is silly but it's fun that's it that's actually what i like most about it is because it's none of the kids react to it they are just like whatever i'm sure parents have this under control it's only once it gets to the aunt that she looks at the mom and just like um kevin's not here <laughs> yeah yeah i know i like that i think so all the airport stuff is kind of where we are though in terms of yeah. uh, uh the setup of the movie which yeah the biggest contrivances to make this all work do happen yes. at the airport right um mm-hmm. and i will say one of the things because we always joke whenever home alone comes up you say well if this happens and you even said it last review if this happens twice that's a child services problem yeah i'm going to posit something here though this time it's on Kevin. It's not on them. And I'm not. Yes. I, I, I don't say. I'm not saying they're completely like. Yeah, their yeah. parents. They're supposed to keep an eye. Like sure, but this time it is purely on him because he chooses to pause when they're running for the plane to look for batteries in his dad's bag, and this mm-hmm. is what causes the whole thing in the first place. And it's like you don't really need them right now, Kevin. Right. This is purely so- a stupid decision on your part that's led to all this. I agree. However, I think that the line here is blurry because obviously, like, a three-year-old, you would not expect to be able to keep up. Like, you would have to keep an eye on them regardless. An 18-year-old, you would expect to keep up regardless. So there's a line somewhere in there where it transitions. Yeah, I'll give you that. And I'll also give you, like you know peter McAllister saying hey you, yeah you carry my bag kevin that's fine like i th- that's mm-hmm. okay to a point but when you realize that his wallet all of his money that he's got for traveling and like all these credit cards and stuff are all in that bag there is a part of it that goes i don't think i'd let my kid carry that uh in, in a heated moment like i'd probably no no i'll take oh, that yeah. because all my important stuff i mean it's important for the plot because kevin needs to be able to spend money when he gets to new york otherwise oh, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. You know, he's screwed but like so that sets it up but i do after this moment though i do like most of the little things that make it work uh one is that i appreciate that the guy that looks like his dad from behind looks nothing like him from the front because it, so it yeah. doesn't feel that you know okay it's the back of a guy with brown hair and a tan coat that's mm-hmm. plausible enough and but my favorite parts of this though is well I, it is obviously the biggest far-fetched thing is absolutely the fact that they let him on the plane right that is yeah absurd because he bumps into the woman taking the tickets and mm-hmm. they all spill and she's like yeah my pass is down here somewhere and he says oh my dad got on the plane the fact that an employee at the airport said just board him just just make sure you set he spots his parents before you you set him down it just feels I, so uh... <laughs> i agree but i will i i think they realized that because as soon as they did the whole ticket shuffle thing where yeah. he, his boarding pass gets mixed in with everyone else's except it doesn't because think... he has it later in the movie Oh, that's right. He does. Yeah. All right. Well, full plot hole then. However, <laughs> um, the the thing that I think is the 
moment that I realized they realized they wrote themselves into a corner because they realized like, yeah, there's no way this kid be getting on this plane. Like they, they would be able to sit down and say, we're going to make sure like you are going to sit next to your family. Are you going to positively identify and your father will then positively identify you. So I think there also, was, like you said, also, that little contrivance there. Also, when he says that's my dad over there because he sees this guy from behind that looks like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, your dad flies first class, Kevin. You're looking at the regular part of the plane here. So, it, do does first class still store their baggage back with the coach? I don't think so. No, I think they, I, right. I think they have even bigger compartments under their that's seats. <laughs> yeah. Now this is by far the biggest contrivance out of the whole sequence because I've. I'm okay with him holding the bag, like you said. Yeah. I'm okay with this following the jacket. It's only once it gets to the actual boarding of the plane where you could tell they were like, look, you just got to roll with us well, for yeah, just a I, second. I'm fine with because it's a fun plot. It's a fun movie mm-hmm. to do. So like, I, I'll roll with it, but it is the thing where you have to just accept, this is bullshit, just, just go with it. That yep. said, though, there's a couple of things in the plane that I really like. One, that he tries to talk to the guy next to him and he doesn't yeah. speak any English, which neatly says why he doesn't react to him saying, oh, because he says to him, oh, have you ever been to Florida before? So mm-hmm. that would be a big deal if the guy was like, uh, why are you asking me about Florida? We're going to New York. So the fact yeah. that he doesn't speak English is good point number one. But the one that I really like is that this guy doesn't shut up, so Kevin puts on his headphones, which neatly explains why he doesn't hear a hundred mm-hmm. references to the fact that the plane's going to New York. Because, All right, yeah. Because if you're on a plane, you know, the, 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 I mean, the, the air hostess here says it, but even the pilot, when he goes over the comms, it, it, usually they'll say, like, hey, we're going to be landing in New York at this time, and the weather's looking like this. They always say stuff like that. So yeah. they set up that he puts on his headphones, and he's going to miss all that, so that he can be shocked when he gets off the plane, and he looks out the window, and he's like, shit, that's New York City. <laughs> I, I, I actually love the idea that when he gets off the plane, he... He doesn't even, like, kind of realize, like, he doesn't take time to come to the conclusion that he messed up. He looks out the window, he's like, that's not Florida, and immediately goes to correct it. But then as soon as he realizes that he's the one who messed up, he's like, oh, well, time for an adventure. Yeah, the one thing I wish they didn't do is they they repeat the moment where he says what the situation is and then says it again, but happy. He does that here, because in the first movie it was, I made my family disappear. I Mm -hmm. made my family disappear here it's my family's in florida and i'm in new york my family's in florida and i'm in new york wiggle the eyebrows a few times and call it a scene yeah for the record like if i'm picking a vacation like i'm picking new york over florida every every day of the week I mean, personally, I'd pick neither because New York is too busy for me, and Florida is Florida. That's so, that's no, that's I get that. But if I'm picking yeah. between those two, uh, oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. New, York. New York all the way, easy, mm-hmm. right, easy peasy. So, yeah, especially for Christmas, like that's hands down. They've oh, got yeah. the Rockefeller tree and everything, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, you want to go to the 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 place that might get snow for Christmas, like you don't yeah. like Christmas. Yeah, you know Kevin, for all the shit things he says. He is right when he says, who wants to go somewhere tropical for Christmas? That's not Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's not Christmas yep. vibes. I actually, sorry, I wanted to throw in this little bit of trivia I had. Um, for this movie, they apparently bought an insane amount of artificial snow just for scenes that would need it. Uh-huh. But it turns out that during filming, New York got a massive blizzard. So <laughs> they didn't need any of it. Oh, well, I was lucky. Wasn't it? it was lucky, except they already bought the snow. Yeah, so. M- meaning that they were shooting this in winter of 
91 going into 92. Yeah. Because that, that, it would have had to have been that winter because... Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yeah. other one, they had to wait till that one came out. They yeah. saw the return on it and then put cashed in. Yeah. So... Very nice, very nice. Uh, so mm-hmm. we get this big montage of Kevin going around New York. I love. There's actually a really expensive shot here where the mm-hmm. camera comes into the bridge and then t- goes in closer to the taxi where Kevin's sticking his head out the window. And it's, you know, it's him. You know, it's not a stunt double or anything. There's no reason why yeah. it should be. It's just him sticking his head out the window. But it's. Uh, I'm like, oh, that, this is a really expensive shot, much like the one that we're about to see at the top of the World Trade Center, where they clearly had a helicopter or something to to pull back. Which, by the way, yep. like. Anytime as a movie at the top of the World Trade Center, I always get like, I'm not scared of heights, but that some that's just too high up. It's just too. Oh, yeah. It makes me queasy thinking about I, the vertigo you might get up here. I'm not even worried about the height so much. It's something about seeing Kevin on there. You get a sense for just how thin the towers really that, that's are what compared to how me. tall yeah. they are. Like, see if yeah. see if they were connected with like a big wall or something, so it was like a wide structure, mm-hmm. I'd be more comfortable, I guess. But it feels like, um, like, see when I saw the movie The the Walk starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which was about yes. the guy who walked bet- in the tightrope between them. Like, that was like a horror movie to me, mm-hmm. right? And he was comfortable the whole time. And I knew it was a true story, so I knew he didn't die. But, like, the whole time I was like, this is, like, you could trip at any point, like, even just near the edge of the building. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Obviously, what we're going to talk about here is the fact that it's a bit uncomfortable having this big prominent moment at the World Trade Center. Yeah, apparently that was edited out of all TV broadcasts for 17 years. Hey, that's the... interesting. I didn't know that. That's... Yeah, that makes it sense. was only restored back in Christmas of of uh, 2018. So, well, I guess it makes sense. Enough times passed that you can kind of yeah just accept it now. But I mean, I guess I'm more. It's not required to the plot in any meaningful way like it's a, just one of the stops he makes along his yeah. new york trip it has a big great shot though because the camera pulls oh, out yeah. and you see the whole city from this vantage point it is really good yeah no doubt um, I, I can see why they would want to keep it in for what, sure what's funny is um it's right after this because when he goes to the hotel right so we get a montage of him just doing stuff around new york and mm-hmm. he goes to the hotel and this is where we get the donald trump cameo right <laughs> yes <laughs> and What's so funny is that I was mentioning this on stream just in the last week, and someone mm-hmm. said, oh, I think they cut Trump out of uh, the movie in Canada. And I'm like, wait, what? Uh, and it turned out, and it ended up just being like one TV station just trimmed some bits out of the movie for time. And when you watch this scene, yeah, it's so inessential because you, oh, could, yeah. you can just cut, because all he does is say, hey, where's the lobby? And he goes, oh, it's down there, kid. Like, you could just cut to him walking out of the lobby. Yeah. It's fine. It's, it's by definition, a celebrity cameo. That's all it is. And, yeah, it's not hard to imagine that Trump is friends with some of the rich people that run Fox and said, you know... Well, not even. He owned the hotel. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. I'm saying, yeah. hey, this is a giant ad for his hotel, so he gets a cameo as well. Oh, yeah, uh, no, yeah. no doubt, yeah. Um, so... That said, though, they didn't say his name as much as I thought they would. I, for some reason, in my memory, I somewhere in my memory, I thought every time they said the plaza, they said the Trump Plaza, mm. and they don't. They actually just no. say uh, the Plaza Casino and Hotel, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'd imagine that was probably like 50% of not wanting to involve as much branding in on it of a mm-hmm. real person in case something happened in the future. <laughs> um, but then the other 50% of it just being the idea of, no, it's it's just this generic hotel. It's not really supposed to be an actual real place, yeah. despite the fact that a real version of it does yeah. exist. 
It does make you wish for a paint can to come in in that scene, though, and just hit him in the face. Oh, yeah. I'm nice. sure there's a VFX artist that can do it. <laughs> uh, so, so, and meanwhile, in Florida, uh, hmm. they went to the police, of course, to tell them what's happened. Yep. And um, he asks, has anything like this happened before? And there's just this awkward pause. <laughs> I, I especially like they start off with like no no of course not because obviously that's what most parents would say yeah and then they have to pause and they're like okay well actually maybe this exact same thing happened last year but we're not bad people <laughs> yeah uh and then they realize that he's got all of the dad's credit cards and stuff so oh hey if he uses mm-hmm. one of them that's great which is a, it's a good like, cut actually because the mom says i don't even think he knows how to use a credit card cut mm-hmm. to the credit card being uh, scanned or whatever in yes. the hotel one thing that i just thought about now um they as we see later on in the florida plot line they arrive at this motel and it's just super skeevy awful horrible and it's pissing the rain as well yep was do you think this was picked because the dad didn't have any access to money oh so the uncle had to pay for it and he's cheap so he picked this yeah shit I'm thinking so. That's actually a really good little detail I never even thought about. That's yeah. good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's like good. <laughs> I, f- I feel like you probably could go to a bank with some ID, if he has any ID, that is. I mean, he's got his passport. Yeah, I was going to say. He'll have his passport. Uh, well, no, he wouldn't. you wouldn't need a passport to travel just within the States. Well, you wouldn't know, I think. I mean, no, no, not nowadays. Well, you do in the UK ever, ever since... Um, it wasn't right after 9-11, I think it was a few years later, but now and even mm. in the UK, if you're flying to another part of the UK, you still need your passport. All, all I know is I flew about three years ago and I didn't need a passport. Oh, so. fair enough, fair enough. Yep. Uh, I stand corrected, but, uh, yep. but he, may, he, may, he, may, he may have it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it, I'm sure it would even be possible with just a joint account that oh, his the wife, wife be able yeah, to get the wife can, yeah. yeah, the wife will have all our stuff. And maybe they've yeah. got some joint card. Yeah, they probably still do that. But still, it's nice to think that they're at this shithole because Frank had to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, especially because he has the line of, like, it looked a lot better on our honeymoon. Yeah, 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 so. yeah. Uh, so, so one of the big things, and I love this, this is not a complaint, but one mm. of the big things that's very, like, that sticks out to me, this, is how as soon as Tim Curry sees Kevin walk in the lobby... He's yeah. like, this man's a criminal. I'm going to take him down. <laughs> like, that's his attitude. Like, he's just suspicious immediately. And I'm like, is it really that weird for a kid to come in and get a hotel room? R- really? I mean, obviously, he's yeah. got a whole story about his dad's credit card and all that. And it's, 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 like, if anything, it's a bit com. All I was thinking was like, do you need that much of a story? Can I just say, like, hey, this is my dad's credit card. He's not here. I need a room for the night. Um, mm. Like, I don't know. I- I, I feel like if he came in and had just, like, cash on hand, there'd be a whole different set of questions, but mm. they would still allow it. I think they'd be like, well, you know, money's money, and your story lines up enough as we can check. But I think it's solely for the purposes of, like, liability and such, because they specifically mm. tell Kevin, when your dad gets here, he needs to sign some stuff. He's not, you're, we're letting you in as a courtesy, but... yeah. It's not usually what we do here. I mean, obviously, all of this is just to get around them reaching conclusions too soon. Because obviously, what mm-hmm. should happen here is that they go, they go, oh, we have to like call someone because you've got his credit card, and that would just very quickly like attach all the lines of, okay, now we know yeah. where Kevin is, and the police might even, you know, they might even get his dad on the phone and say, hey, yeah, give him a room, like use my, I'm authorizing my credit card, put him in a room oh, yeah. so he's safe. I, I actually love the fact that this is so perfectly set in time where 
they do the old style of credit card where they yeah. just make like a copy of it and then they don't actually run it until a later date. Because if they ran the card initially right then, boom, it's automatically on his bank account and they could just easily check it. It only works because of this time period where they don't run the card immediately. Yeah, which wouldn't even be a problem because it's not reported stolen for the sake of finding them until after. Because mm. it's, it's this because it's, I think it's literally the same the scene right before where they bring up the credit cards. It wouldn't already be reported. Like if we go right. by this is running concurrently, they've not done that yet, so it wouldn't show stolen right away. Right. Uh, but it's more just like you say, so it's not instantly like, hey, he just used it a minute ago, like at yeah. this hotel. He's in New York. Call them up. He's right there. Yeah. You have to stall it a little bit so the movie can play out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Tim Curry immediately just eyeing him up, being suspicious, and telling Rob Schneider, who's the Bella Boy, like, hey, keep an eye on him. Find out everything you can about that boy. He's suspicious. Yep. I mean, I again, I like all of the hotel staff. I think Tim Curry is a fantastic antagonist. There's a shot later on when he discovers the card is stolen where they do a fade between yeah. him and the Grinch that's just magnifique perfect perfect, yeah but they're not in enough of the movie they needed to be the antagonists i don't think it works with them being dropped so early on yeah i mean i don't have as much of a problem with it but like i think the problem is is that they'd have to become more outright villains and they're not right they're they're suspicious Mm. hotel staff they don't deserve to be let's face it basically killed repeatedly like yeah. <laughs> marvin harry are later so that's fair you know i think you've got that but you know he gets the and this was where it felt like a bit of an ad for the hotel to me is when he comes in the room and he starts going around and saying things like so spacious yet luxurious yeah. <laughs> he goes over to the mini bar so convenient and I'm like all right kevin is trump giving you a paycheck out of his own pocket here and just five minutes from historic downtown <laughs> so uh, we get the running joke where Rob Schneider's always looking for a tip uh, and mm-hmm. Kevin just gives him some gum or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we get some... I, I like that we repeat some things from the first movie, like the mountain of ice cream, but this time he's got like a, a waiter like serving him on a platter and it's yeah. like, oh, he's living it up. He's living like his dream vacation with his dad's money and credit card. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I enjoy that. It's this idea that in comedy the way that you build on a joke is just by making it even crazier just yes anding it so in the first movie you have the idea of here is this mountain of ice cream now it's here's a mountain of ice cream served by this guy in the first movie you have this movie angels with filthy souls now you have the sequel angels with even filthier souls i laughed so hard when i saw that tape sitting on top of the tv it's great but it's one of those things where it's not while it may be cribbing from the first movie, it's building on it at the yeah. same time. It isn't just a direct copy over without any sort of change. Yeah, and instead but- of using the movie twice, we'll get to when he uses it later, but the first mm-hmm. time, instead of using the movie, because in the first movie, you got the pizza guy first, and then you got it with uh, Marv. Here, yep. the first time, you use the recording of Uncle Frank, because Tim Curry shows up snooping that night uh, mm-hmm. in the hotel room, and he's sneaking in, and Kevin like rushes off to the bathroom, and and I, there's a couple of scenes in this that show how quick-witted he is, like how quickly he thinks of a solution to something. And this is the yeah. first one where he goes in and they set up earlier on that Kevin's grandmother sent him a like an inflatable clown for the pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he inflates that, he puts it in the, in the bathtub behind the shower curtain, and he yeah. plays the recording of his Uncle Frank singing. But of course, the best part is, is that as Tim Curry's like sticking his head in, it's when 
he turns the clown around and he's like, get out of here, you little pervert, before I stomp you or something. And Slap you silly. I looked it up. I think what I like about this moment is that when he turns the clown around and he, he gets the reaction out of Tim Curry, like, Kevin smiles like, oh, this is great, I'm getting away with this. It's not like he's... It doesn't feel like he's, oh, thank, thankfully that worked. He's not relieved. Mm. He's like, oh, no, that was too good. Like, this worked exactly as I planned it, and it was perfect. And Oh, yeah. He is a sadist. He is absolutely, <laughs> like, he looks at other people's suffering, and he's like, this is fantastic. Oh, it's, it's, it's good stuff. And I think mm. the payoff to this as well, which is, um, well, there's two payoffs, actually, but the, the immediate payoff is the next morning, Tim Curry comes up to him and says, hey, is your dad around? I'd like to apologize yeah. personally. And, oh, by the way, the limo and pizza you've requested are out front, courtesy of the hotel. Because, obviously, there's a big joke at the end about how big the hotel bill is because of Kevin's antics. But this pizza and this limousine were free because this is an apology for peeping on an imaginary father who wasn't there. This is is entirely... All of his bill at the very end is seemingly just in that one night. That first night when he was getting the ice cream buffet. Everything after that was all courtesy of. Like, I'll be honest, like, we were joking a lot in the first movie about how cheap things were comparatively. I don't Mm -hmm. think today, at a hotel like this, I could get a a bill of $1,000 with just, like, junk food. Well, I mean, oh, yeah. you could technically order it all, but assuming that I'm actually eating it, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> That's fair. I, I mean, I think that it is doable, but it is especially are you difficult. Just, are you just hoarding it for later, though? I feel like if you're actually like attempting to eat at least a fair portion mm. of it, I don't think you could do it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's fair. I'm just is... trying to look up hotel pricing in New York right now, because they did actually show that the room itself for this suite for i guess it would have been two or three nights was only like 350 dollars which is oh, ridiculous th- it's easily triple that now yeah absolutely easily yeah i can't get any good numbers on it because actually yeah. trump plaza has clothed <laughs> i i uh i would suspect that even one night would probably be more than that price now uh, oh yeah for and, that and, for that level of a suite as well yeah for for a suite and a nice big fancy hotel in new york i think it would easily be more than that for a night yeah. Uh, anywho, so yeah, this is a fun bit. Um, and he gets mm-hmm. this limo and the pizza, and he says, "Take me to a toy store, sir." And the limousine driver's like, "Yeah, I've got the perfect one in mind," and that's how we get to the toy store. So should we pause here before we get to the toy store and talk about the subplot that's been going on of our bandits? We should the sticky bandits now. Yes, because yeah. Marv wraps some tape around his hand, and I guess that's enough. I kind of like it because, like. In the first movie, the wet stuff does kind of come back in the sense that the, the house is flooded at the end. Mm-hmm. Here, it's not so much that his sticky gimmick comes back. It's more just an ironic thing that he is sticky at the end, but it's not his own fault. It's more just because Kevin's yeah. like covered him in a bunch of shit that he yeah. ends up being very sticky. But um, yeah, so they show up. They're hiding in like a fish truck. Hence the joke mm-hmm. about, do you smell that freedom, Marv? like, no, I smell fish. Yeah. Uh, but I think Marv's hilarious here. There's a scene with them at the, the ice rink, right, in mm-hmm. Central Park. And Marv, as he's talking to Harry, is just casually stealing different items of clothing throughout the conversation. So by the yeah. end, he's got earmuffs, a hat, a scarf. You know, he's, he's got the whole setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I really like their chemistry because whenever Harry's listening, hey, you know, I've got this idea. We're going to knock off a toy store on Christmas Eve before they've taken the money away. And it's going to be mm-hmm. relatively low security compared to like a jewelry store or a bank or anything like that. But they'll have taken a lot of money because it's Christmas Eve. And it's a toy store. Yeah. And 
It's like, yeah, yeah, there's no, no one stupid enough to rob a toy store on Christmas Eve. Yeah, there is. Me and you. Like, <laughs> like I, 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 get, I get fun out of that. Um, yeah. No, I, I think Marv was actually a lot better written in this movie than he was in the first one. And he wasn't a slouch in the first one either. No, but not at all. I think, I, I think the stuff later on where Kevin keeps taking photographs and, and mm-hmm. Marv keeps saying things like, because Harry's upset. He's like, he took a photo while we were doing a crime. And Harry's like, how's my hair? The, you know, yeah. I, I thought that was funny. I was, I was. Into there's, a, there's a point where Kevin takes another picture and he yells out "smile," and he just nice yeah, little he, smile, he just a cute little tilting the head. My favorite line though is actually a callback to the first movie, um, where they are going through Central Park, and the uh, Marvin Harry end up losing Kevin. They were chasing him and they end up losing him, and he specifically says like, "Ah, oh, yeah, no, you, you, the, plenty of grown men get killed in this park. There's no way a kid would survive." And Marv throws out like, yeah, kids are afraid of the park in a perfect callback to kids are afraid of the dark well, yeah, it's in still, the first one. You must remember it slightly the other way around because he does okay. say that line. He says, yeah, kids are afraid of the park and it's a callback to the dark lane. Yeah. But then Harry says, yeah, some grown men don't come out of the park alive. And I'm like, right. how frequent is murder in Central Park? <laughs> I mean, these guys live through 70s New York. True, true. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a fair. different time. That's fair. Mind you, they're literally at the exact same fountain where all of the assassins were John in John Wick, Wick I reckon, too. I recognized it as well. When yeah. Kevin runs down the stairs and comes out of that entrance, I went, that's John Wick. I recognize yeah. that place. This whole plaza is just about to freeze and everyone's <laughs> going to be caught out. Yeah, I, so I love all their stuff. They set up a little like twofer where they're behind this woman in the street mm-hmm. and Marv like accidentally like, sticks his hand to her purse but uh, mm. then when he sees how attractive she is, he's like, oh, mon cher. And he starts speaking French. Um, and they pay that off later with Kevin, uh, which is again, it's very coincidental that that same woman's in front of them. But it is oh, quite yeah. funny, so I'm not going to complain. Um, I was That was less of Kevin playing back on the other thing as much as he was like, I'd imagine most New Yorkers are about to punch Marv at any given moment. Yeah. It's the way, it's the way he smiles and says hello when he recognizes it, though, that really pops me. Like, I oh, really yeah. laugh at that. He's great uh yeah so kev is at the toy store and it sets up a lot of important things here it said mm. i mean i think even earlier on when he's at the pool in the hotel and he actually asked the old man hey does anyone mind if i do some cannonballs and like yeah go ahead like i was like you mm. know what that's maturity he asked first oh yeah although i fully expected that he got all the nods from like the men sitting in the faraway hot tub <laughs> meanwhile there's a woman sitting right behind him reading a book who he didn't ask I fully expected there to be like a gag of her just getting drenched and being but, all upset. You know what? The movie makes you root for Kevin because when he finds out about all this money from the toy store being donated to a children's hospital, he's like, hey, mm-hmm. here's $20. And he specifically points, and I like this detail, I, I've forgotten this. He specifically points out that he's not meant to spend this, which is true because it's just his dad's like holiday money. Yeah. But he, he said, he, gave, he pulls out $20 and he says, look, back home I've got 20 saved up from doing chores or whatever. I'm going to like repay it with that. So it says, I love the idea that he's like, okay, you know what? I'm blowing all this cash and dumb shit for myself, but this 20 I'm using for this charity, I'm actually going to cover that later with my real money. I like my that detail. dad doesn't get to write this off on his taxes. This one is me. <laughs> I just thought that was nice. He has a nice yeah. conversation with the, the guy who owns the store. He doesn't realize he owns the store until after, of course, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this little moment where because he donated, he's able to pick up a Christmas ornament off of a tree nearby. Two turtle doves. He, Two turtle doves, which Very will nice. come back in a different plot. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing we completely skipped over. Um, 
during his little walk around New York, that was the first occurrence of Pigeon uh, Lady. Yeah, we'll come back to her. That's just yeah. fine. Uh, I love the visual of Harry and Marv's heads coming out of these little toy houses. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole plan. They're going to hide in these little toy houses on Christmas Eve and just wait until everyone's left, take the money and leave. No, yeah. no, no must, no fuss. And at this point, I think it is already Christmas Eve. Is it not? It might be, actually, he, yeah. Because it's when he leaves in the limo that uh, Tim Curry looks at the checks the card and it shows up mm-hmm. stolen and that's when he smiles. Because yeah. Kevin's watching the Grinch and the, the limo and that's yep. when it fades between them. But uh, he, you know, they find it. So we get the plan, they find all this out, but it's when they come out the store that they see Kevin, they see his name in his backpack and they're mm-hmm. like, look who it is. And they come over, and I, I do love the shadow coming over the map that Kevin's looking at. Yeah. And then it's like, hey, pal. And then I actually love the payoff to this where he just screams and they're like, oh, shit, we can't just grab him because now everyone's looking like we're kidnapping a kid. Yeah. So they have to. But this, this was the moment earlier on where I was saying how it shows you how quickly he like can think of the sort of antics that he comes up with because mm-hmm. he's running away from them throughout New York and he just he passes a street vendor who's selling pearl necklaces. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, give me, give me a handful. And he just pays for them quickly and immediately makes a slip trap where they slip on yep. the pearls. And it's the classic thing where they both slip at the same time and land on their back. And I was like, that was, that was like, that's how quick he can do it. He can just think of the trap and he can enact a, he got a plan and he puts it through. In, in his head, it's just that, that meme with all the numbers flying yes. in front of the camera. It's just that, but it's different traps. It's He's always looking at a way that he can booby trap something. Plus, it's a great setup for later, because when he slips at the end of the movie, and it's, it's like, oh, the tables have turned, because he's, like, mm-hmm. you know, slipped on some ice. It's like, oh, it's the, it's the exact same type of fall. And I fully expected him to call out and just be like, so that's what that feels like. <laughs> um, there is actually something I will compare to Batman later, but it's not that. Mm. Uh, so... Yeah, he he gets away uh, in Central Park, but when he goes back to the hotel, Tim Curry tries to to nab him. And it is worth mentioning the bad guy, the bandits do see him get out of the hotel, so they're mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, lying in wait for when he comes out again. Yeah. But we get all the fun stuff at the hotel here, where Kevin's you know ducking under the legs of the women, he's running away from them, and we get arguably the scene of the movie, which is Kevin runs into the hotel room. And he turns on Angels with Filthier Souls. Yep. Uh, as as Tim Curry, Rob Schneider, the woman, and a couple of security guards run in after him. And this time, the guy's talking about, hey, you've been smooching with everyone. You were here last night. And, you know, that starts off being believable because Tim Curry's like, yeah, I was here last night. You're right. Like, yeah. yeah. And, but I don't know what you've been up to. You've been smooching with, with my brother. It's like, I, I was not, sir. You've been smooching with everyone, and it just so happens the security guard that they're with is named Cliff, and that's the name that the guy says on the tape. Yeah. It's very good. Um, I, I I think this scene is very juvenilely funny. Sure. But I... You don't like it? It's it just reaches that critical mass at a certain point. I th- There's a point where he says, get on your knees and tell me that you love me. And it's a funny visual. I'm not denying that it's not a funny visual, but I think it passes the critical mass of believability of okay, what these like, characters would actually do. Oh yeah, no, like, like I agree. I mean, I said in the last movie, the idea of mistaking for any of this as being real sounds as opposed to coming out of a movie mm. was was hard to believe. Here, it's even more so. Yeah. But at this point, I'm just, I'm just into it. I'm just. No, that's fine. I, I'm having that's fun with the hijinks. I, I, you know, yeah. I'm good. 
there's actually there's another little running joke to start here. So so Kevin runs out of the hotel and jumps into the arms of Marv and Harry by accident. Yep. And Marv just starts telling them the whole plan, mm-hmm. right? Of what they're going to do, and Harry's telling them to shut up. I love this new running gag because even at the end when the police get them, Marv just starts saying everything that they were doing. And yeah. He's like, Marv, shut up! Stop incriminating us. And I I like that for Marv's character thing. Like he doesn't. He just assumes that everything's going to go off without a hitch, no matter what. Like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So he's like, "Yeah, whatever." He's just, just excited. Tell everybody about yeah, going on. Yeah, he's he's into it. It's great. Um, so they nab him, uh, and he gets away because he does the whole thing with the the, the woman in the street, where he he pulls yep. on her her coat, um, and gets Harry and Marv punched and runs yep. off. But now he's alone in New York at night with nowhere to stay. He's, yeah, he can't wa- go back to the hotel. He's wandering the streets. There's scary prostitutes offering their services. They're going to read him bedtime stories. <laughs> wonder what they charge for that. Ooh, more than you'd think. <laughs> uh, I guess depending on the story, it may take longer than their usual services. Oh, yeah. All right. Chapter one, the Lord of the Rings. Oh, fuck it. That's that's what you think they're starting with. Yeah, he wants a full bedtime story, and he's going to get the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh jeez, uh, that's a horrible Christmas thought right there. Um, so his parents and that are back in New York, or well, mm-hmm. I should say back. They're, they've they've came to New York because there's a great scene while he's out in his own where they basically confront Tim Curry for being a horrible human being. Yeah, for like. Uh, so you let him check in on his own well he had a very convincing story in fact maybe my favorite line of dialogue in the whole movie what kind of morons do you have working here only the finest in new york (laughs) that's great that is a great line that is so good um so and like hey yeah when we confront him about the credit card he ran away and his dad quite rightly is like yeah because you scared the shit out of him like he was a criminal maybe if you just asked him why he had the credit card maybe you'd have realized it's my son and maybe they'd want him to be, you know, taken taken care of until they can get yeah, there. Or, or exactly. Uh, yeah. It's one of those movies where it, again, it just couldn't work in modern day with how fast information is able to be transferred even between yeah. like police places. It only works in this instance where the only thing he's able to see is it's a stolen card. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it'll work because obviously yeah, we said this last movie but Kevin would have his own phone on him if, if, if oh, it was yeah. modern times like they, no doubt. They, they'd know where he is immediately dude if we're if we're talking about modern modern times these parents after the second time this has happened are putting a chip in Kevin yes. they're not letting him out of his sight absolutely so you know the mom wants to go and look for him mm-hmm. uh, well I, I without getting too far ahead though we do the entirety of the pigeon plot happens. Oh, is at, that here? Okay. At, it's right after the prostitutes <sighs> thing. Yeah, because he, yeah, he goes into the, the park and mm-hmm. he's feeding some pigeons with the cookies that he took from the hotel. Yep. And then Bird Lady shows up. And and part of the reason why this also doesn't work is not only is the conversation they have take forever and it's like, because it's not just like they talk about one thing she has like from her past that's bad. Like they talk about how she's not good talking to people, how she has to get mm-hmm. over the fact that her heart was broken. Like it goes on for too long. It's a full therapy session, which just feels so contrived. But yep. all, even this moment though, where she first comes out, like all the things in the first movie where the old man was around and Kevin got scared, they yes. all worked in the context of, okay, he wasn't there to interact with Kevin, so he's there doing whatever he's doing, and Kevin gets scared before anything can really happen. But in this scene, 
she comes out and frees his foot from a rock because he and he's screaming the entire time and at no point does she say hey calm down i'm just gonna let you out you know calm down yeah. i'm just gonna free you i mean you no harm she stays quiet the whole time just so this idea of her being scary can be maintained until he and don't get me wrong the one right. little detail that i kind of like is that he just chooses to turn around and say you know what i'm being stupid like she's not actually scary yeah. i actually no, like that moment because that's like a bit of growth but other, other I, than that i don't like any of it i like that scene specifically because i was hating that scene right up until that point because it was the whole thing of he's screaming he's not able to escape she frees his foot and he still chooses to scream and run away and everything in my head is saying you have learned nothing since the last movie kevin because that was the entire plot there yeah not to mention he she has actually gone the extra mile and has helped you in this situation and you're still choosing to run so as he was running and then turned around and said wait a minute you helped me that's him alone like thank christ and this is where we get the batman begins scene where he learns to not fear the birds and they throw out all the bird seeds and he gets swarmed with birds yeah it's that scene from batman begins where he's standing with all the bats and i i kind of laughed out loud a little bit because of the the comparison Pigeons are what I fear. It's time my enemies share my dread. <laughs> well, I, actually, you know, good little writing thing is that when they're at the ice rink earlier on, uh, Harry actually shows away some pigeons and says, mm-hmm. get lost, you stupid birds or something like that. It's a yeah. little bit of foreshadowing for the end where the birds are going to be the demise. So, yeah, uh, you know, as much, as much as I don't like the bird lady stuff, like at least that is setting up something that's mm-hmm. going to be paid off. Yeah, but then the uh, next bit is basically as they're talking, it's just like, oh yeah, how about we go somewhere like anywhere else but central park at night and so they go to a orchestra that's doing christmas songs and she's able to get into like the attic crawl space basically this is a spot she clearly goes to stay out of the cold you know yes Mm -hmm. so and it doesn't it seems like more storage than it does an actual living space but it also seems like she stays here quite a bit well i think she's homeless so i think they're just going for oh yeah Mm -hmm. you know this is where she she spends the time yeah. And you have this whole big conversation. I don't even really want to say much about it, to be honest. Uh, no, it's it's essentially just a long thing of she. Her backstory is she was with somebody, and then that somebody broke her heart one way or another, and she is afraid to ever open up to anyone ever again. As she opens up to Kevin without a care in the world. Yeah, and then when he's leaving, he says, "Hey, don't give up on people. Like I won't forget you. I'll remember you." And mm-hmm. she's like, "Don't make promises you can't keep. It is all very dour." And yep. I think everything with the old man worked so well in the first movie and all made sense. This all just mm-hmm. feels very forced to have a similar type of character that is going yeah, to help him in the end. That's the biggest problem, I think, for me, is the fact that it it does feel so copy-paste from the first one, but they lost all of that sort of backstory that made it work. The yeah. idea of there was a reason to fear this man because of what Buzz was saying, and then... There are multiple encounters with him where he does come off as menacing. Whereas in this one, she's a lady standing with birds. I don't <laughs> understand why you're afraid here. Yeah. Unless it, you are actually terrified of pigeons. It's very weird. Uh, luckily, though, after this is where we get to the good stuff, which yes. is Kevin is walking past the children's hospital and there's a kid, a sick kid, waves him in the window. And then mm-hmm. Kevin remembers and puts two and two together. You know, he remembers, you know, the man from the toy store saying, hey, you know, all the money we make on Christmas Eve, we're going to take down to the children's hospital on Christmas Day. It's a big thing that he does every year or something. And yep. then he remembers Marv saying, oh, we're going to knock off that toy store. And he puts it together. 
He looks up at the, the, the sick child and says, you don't mess with kids on Christmas. And that's when the music kicks in. It's like, no, he's going to save the children's hospital's money. And yep. it's like, okay, he's making this choice not for himself. He could walk away. He doesn't even have to be involved in this, but he's mm-hmm. going to save them. And I love that as like a character motivation. And one of the things we haven't mentioned yet is that it's set up earlier on that the uh, uncle who lives in France he used to live in New York, and he still owns yes. that place, right? And they set up again with the other parents where uh, Peter and, what, Kate? Was that her name? Yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They're saying, hey, maybe he would have like thought of going to my brother's place because he lives in New York. And he's like, yeah, but is he still in Paris? Like, well, yeah, but maybe they've got a house there. It's like, yeah, but I thought you said they were renovating. And that that detail, they're renovating. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, all of a sudden, we have a reason for lots of work tools and like yep. all these other shenanigans around. So he runs to this place, his uncle's place, he breaks in and he starts prepping. He starts mm-hmm. putting grease on things, kerosene on things, setting up paint cans, nail guns, whatever he's confined. Well, isn't there... I swear there's a scene in between. It may not be important at all, but I I vaguely remember there being him walking somewhere and then having to run back to the place at 9 o'clock. Am I, am I wrong on that? Uh, he, he, he visits this place a little bit earlier, but I think before he gets lost in Central Park, because he's hoping to find refuge. Oh, that's right, that's yeah. right, yeah. And then okay. everything else happens, and then he runs here at 9 o'clock, because this is, this is gotcha. where he's going to do his, his murder house mm-hmm. uh, to kill some bad guys. Yep. Uh, so- it's, also, it's also worth noting that the mom is already driving around New York at this point, and he misses her by, like, yeah, 10 seconds. Cause, cause not she, even. She, she naturally goes here first to see if he's came here. And mm-hmm. she she leaves, and then he runs back around the corner, and that's when yep. he's setting up his traps, which is probably mm-hmm. good because I feel like if she was around, uh, actually no no it's not here it's it's not when he's setting up the traps it's when he's oh, run- right. it's, it's when, when he's, he's running doing... back after he's luring Marvin Harry there yeah that's Cause, right because I remember thinking if she did run into him here it'd probably be quite bad because like then these two guys would show up and like no no you're interfering with his perfect plan he's got a plan to take these two out and only yeah. his magical work so you've got you've got to let the plan play out. Uh, but sure enough, like he sets up his traps and he goes to the toy store and, you know, it's like, he he literally says this in his dialogue. He says, you know, another Christmas in the trenches, like no turning back after this moment. But yeah, Mm -hmm. he breaks the window with a brick to set off the alarm. So the, you know, the police know the place is being robbed and it'll also make them chase him. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I, you know, I love all the little details here of them saying crowbars up and, you know, Merry Christmas, Harry and Marvis are just shoveling money into their bags. Oh Yeah. It's all good it feels, stuff. It feels like they are actual friends. Whereas yes. the first movie, it kind of felt like they were co-workers and just kind of like, you know, they, they, they have a camaraderie, but it doesn't feel like they have actually gone through anything together. This one feels like, nah, we went through prison, man. We came out the other side. <laughs> I do like the detail, though, that in the newspaper it said they escaped during a prison riot, because I don't really believe these two could actually plot and escape themselves. Oh, no. Not at all. They took advantage of a situation that was handed on a silver platter, and that mm. makes more sense to me. I mean, you say that, but, like, if it wasn't for the existence of Kevin, they would actually be very successful in all of the things they're doing. Like, they, their plans work I in every other instance. I can't argue with that. Yeah, they're, they're actually quite capable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah... The the one thing you have to keep in mind though when you get to the traps in this movie is they do go a lot more Looney Tunes. Like we said, oh, yeah. there were kind of Looney Tunes before, but here, so many of the traps would just kill them. But instead, mm-hmm. we get a goofy effect, 
or we get physics not working correctly. For example, this first thing that he does where he has like a bucket and like a, a plank of wood and he sets it up so that when Marv and Harry run out, one jumps out first, lands in one side and it's like a mm-hmm. seesaw. And then when Harry jumps out, uh, or no, Marv jumps out, Harry goes flying in the air. I'm like, I don't think yeah. it would actually launch you even a little bit off the ground. I think it would just make make it pivot. And that's I know it. a thing about conservation of energy, and unless Marv happens to weigh 7,000 pounds, <laughs> this isn't going to work out the way you think it will. That said, though, it is entertaining, and my favorite part of it is that after uh, Harry lands on a car and he's in great deal of pain, mm-hmm. Harry comes over and to try and make him feel better, yeah, I really twisted my ankle there as well when I landed on the plank of wood. Yeah. I thought that was a really funny line. Yeah, and then immediately it's followed up with the smile, and he just gives that yeah, cute little yeah. tease. Now... It feels weird to call this a trap, uh, all in the fact that he tricks... Because, you know, Kevin wants to the this, like, brownstone apartment uh, mm-hmm. that he's going to get all the traps in. He goes up to the roof, and Harry and Marv are at the bottom. And Harry's like, look, we just want to go away, so as much as I hate your guts, if you give us the camera, we'll just go. We'll just leave, mm-hmm. right? That's enough. And my favourite thing... Not my favourite line, I've already brought that up, but my favourite, like, moment of violence in the whole Gag, movie... Yeah is the brick because there's something so painfully simple and funny about kevin just throwing a brick down and it hitting marv square in the face Mm -hmm. it's it's three times primal no i think it's four actually i think he ends up getting him four but it's something just so primal of everyone knows exactly how that's gonna work it's not a thing where you even have to question like what's the logistics of like a nail gun through a door or something it's not there's a brick to the face. That's been done since cavemen had rocks. <laughs> yeah, but there's something funny. Like, a rock would be all right, but a brick's funnier. I think it's because yeah. it's such a, a refined shape. You know, it's like it's made for a purpose. It's, it's, well, a it's, built, it's, it's, it's because a you block. can see the corners yeah. on his face as, like, welts as they're hitting him each time. And even better, when he throws down, like, the third or fourth brick, it's it's not meant for Marv, it's meant for Harry, and Harry moves out the way so the brick can just land on Marv again. Mm-hmm. And that's really funny. Yeah. It's really good. Um, and, of course, they're, they're a bit more seasoned. They're like, okay, we know what to expect from this little shit. So, like, every single light switch, every single door handle that Harry touches, mm-hmm. he's very, you know, he's very careful. He's like, oh, is this going to burn me? Is this going to... They- way earlier on when he was leaving the hotel and he basically kevin basically fell yes. into their hands they show his hand is still branded branded with the doorknob m yes so yeah it, it's just that little callback where it reminds you like no they've dealt with him before yeah and they're going to be much more careful this time and and, and marv tries to like he's like oh no we can let's go, let's go get him this isn't his house he doesn't have a plan mm-hmm. and i'm like marv you you silly bitch. <laughs> I, I feel like Harry should have responded with them. Why this house? Why is he up on the roof yes. of this specific house, Marv? I don't trust it at all. Yes. So when they split up again, and Harry actually says, I'm going to go in the back this time because the front mm-hmm. was really bad news last time. So I'm going in the other direction. So yeah. Marv goes up to the door and there's a, it's not a nail gun. It's a, it's a staple gun that right. is uh, hooked up at the door. Uh, which I actually really, not that I'd really care in this movie, but there's so many horror movies that'll have like nail guns that fire like guns where it'll just fire, where in mm. reality it has to be pressed up against something. Technically, this passes that test because it's, pa- yeah. it's pressed up against the keyhole and it's going through the keyhole. Uh, so Ke- Kevin McAllister showing you how to overcome safety standards on every <laughs> one of your household objects. So Marv starts pulling the, the string that's in the door uh, knob and 
he ends up getting stapled in the ass. And the, the, the little detail that makes it funny is that mm-hmm. it staples the, the string that he's pulling to yeah. his ass. And then he turns around and it pulls the trigger again and it staples his dick. And then mm-hmm. he falls down and it staples his nose. So he's got yep. this great... Even after he pulls it out, he's got this great like line over his nose where the staple's yeah. been for the rest... Uh, and honestly, for 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 uh, Marv, for the rest of this like act, it's all about what can we cover Marvin because yeah. he gets covered in paint. Well, he gets covered covered in goo because he slides in goo, and then he mm-hmm. gets covered in paint because he goes into the shells where all the paint cans. So he's got, he's got all these colors all all over him. And yep. then it's the big like uh, is it cement? The, the big bag of cement that splits. There's the big bag of cement, but in between that is actually what I think is the funniest gag for Marv is the electrocution scene. Oh, but yeah, but that doesn't... Co- I was just going through the things yeah, that yeah, cover yeah. him and stuff. But you're right, yeah, yeah, that's in between there. But yeah, cement, and then... I think that's it. And then he makes his well, way upstairs. Well, eventually, uh, both of them get covered in uh, varnish at the very end of right. all this. yes, so, that is true. But, so by the end of all this stuff, Marv has been covered in shit repeatedly. Like five different layers. Yeah. He's fully coated. Uh, but yeah, so it's really funny to see him in all the different colors after the paint. Uh, and then all the, and then obviously all the the powder of the cement sticks to him even more because of the paint. So it's yeah. it's this layered thing, like you say, of him just becoming more and more goofy looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about him being electrocuted and them doing the goofy like prop skeleton for like a like a little bit of it? Personally, I enjoy it because mm. at this point, I, I think that as soon as you hit somebody with a brick thrown from a hundred <laughs> feet in the air four times in the head i am accepting that these are just living cartoon characters that cannot be killed so as soon as they do something like that sure go for it make it the funnier visual gag i I think they're i would rather they didn't do it but it doesn't bother me that much it's kind of like i think it's 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 the skeleton and electrocution and then a couple of bits later they both get squished in a door with a toolbox Mm. that goes down the stairs and they have this like nose effect where they have to like straighten their nose up I think that and the skeleton to me are maybe just a little step over, not the realism, because we're already past realism, right? We're already yeah, way past yeah. that, right? But there's something... It's just too much into the kids' cartoonish Yeah, stuff. yeah. Because the thing with the brick is, is that it is very violent, but that's what makes it so mm-hmm. funny. Well, see, that's what I think is the difference for me with the skeleton, because I agree on the door thing. I think that was a step too far. I think it's the characters acknowledging it that yes. gets me. It's like with the skeleton thing... I can accept that that's just kind of a visual thing happening. He's not actually a skeleton in those moments. Sure, because, sure, yeah. you know, he turns back to normal, clearly. But it's when they get squished by the door and they have to, like, crack their noses back into place. As soon as it becomes something that's in reality to the characters, it just seems like a step too far. Sure. Uh, on the other side, Harry jumps to try and reach the ladder of the fire escape, but Kevin mm-hmm. has already gooped it up with some slime. Yep. And he just falls and lands on his back and he's very upset about it. And then when he's getting in the door to try and get in and he's like being very careful to see like what's going on, like is anything mm-hmm. going to trigger when this happens, he never notices that there's a bag of tools above his head on his side of the door. So when he opens the door and it triggers something, it's actually just all these like wrenches and shit that come down on it. Which again, yeah. very like heavy objects that would actually be very painful if that happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> very painful. I- I cannot believe how much of this is just Marv and Harry on their backs. 
Like every <laughs> single one of these ends with the just shot of them from the top, just laying face down, going, Ugh. I believe the white kill him at the end. Like I believe. Oh yeah, that. absolutely. There's there. I think that was it. Marv who said it in the last movie after he stepped on like the ornaments. He was like, "Oh, I'm gonna kill this kid, or I'm gonna murder this kid, yeah, or something." Yeah. And he he said it, but he said it like super loud and shrill because he was so pissed off. This one, however, I think it was right after the uh, falling in the goop, or maybe it was the cement. Even he sits up and it's just a low grumble to himself. It's just like, "I'm gonna murder this kid," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, he's pissed. Uh, he's actually gonna do it." They mean it this time, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so after they reunite, uh, Harry has a couple other things where his head gets set in fire again. Uh, okay, and, and you make me believe that Joe Pesci can do a handstand into a toilet. I don't think so, but you say make me believe as if that was even po- like. There's no way Joe Pesci has ever moved like that in his life. <laughs> uh, but they do the thing where they go up the stairs, right? And Kevin says, why don't you try the stairs? And I love that Harry goes, oh yeah, what a good idea, upstairs. And I'm like, yeah. don't you think he's trying to lure you into a trap? And sure enough, obviously, or sorry, Marv said that, not Harry. And mm-hmm. then uh, Harry's like, no, no, no. Remember last year? He's like, no, the paint cans, right? He's like, okay, let's just pretend we're going upstairs. Which is so obvious that when they got back, like all of the people after seeing Home Alone, that was the stunt that stuck with them the most. Yes. And so that's the part that they were like, yeah, yeah, we may have forgotten all the other things he did, but the paint cans, we will make direct reference to that. Yeah. So like, they, they pretend to go up the stairs and they, they pretend that they've got hit with the paint cans. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, right in the mouth. Oh, my schnozzle. They're, they're saying these things. And then it just cuts to Kevin with this huge metal bar yeah that's the third thing and it hits them both so much they go through the hole in the, the the floor again uh into the basement area and i think that's really funny but mm-hmm. what's even better is that then kevin just cuts the rope so that this big metal bar falls down the stairs and lands yeah. on top of them i love it no it's good i do think it's there's only one thing i would change about that scene and that is that they're counting it off so they're mm. counting off like there's paint bucket one, there's two, and then when the bar hits them, they say three. But then when the bar hits them when they're in the basement, Marv also tacks on four. The only thing I would change is don't say four because you gotta stick to the rule of three. You can still have the bar hit them, just don't say it. Yeah, or maybe he he, he says, "Is that four? And have Harry just say something like "shop" or I don't know. Yeah. Like- Maybe like something against you know point out that it's that I don't know uh, yeah just to differentiate it from the other three yes uh so they get up to the roof though Kevin's like climbed down a rope and as we saw earlier though he soaked the rope in kerosene mm-hmm. and Marvin and Harry are climbing down the rope and <laughs> Marv is like hey are you wearing cologne He's like no that's not cologne that's kerosene the rope soaked on it oh why would anyone do that and then they just sort of both like uh wait a minute <laughs> yeah they both realize Oops. oh no and kevin sets fire to the rope and they end up falling landing in all the boards that are set up because this is the thing this place does look like a dump because it's been renovated but obviously you mm-hmm. get the impression no there's workers coming here and working on it probably yeah. all the time they're, they're just not but it's christmas eve so they're obviously mm-hmm. all off for a few days for christmas i was gonna say nobody is leaving their giant tool of craftsman tools or their giant chest of tasks craftsman tools here unsupervised in this empty building for long periods of time yeah they're, they're clearly leaving all this stuff here because they're cut you know this is a continuous job that they're working on mm-hmm. um but yeah so 
Kevin runs from them. He ends up slipping in the ice after he's uh, he's phoned the police first though to say, "Hey, yep. come to the park and get them." Um, and but they, they nab him after he slips in the ice. They take him out of the park and Pesci pulls out a gun and things get a bit real. Yep. But then Bird Lady, would you believe it, comes out, th- throws a bunch of bird seeds over them, and because obviously they've been soaked in so much goop and slime and kerosene and mm-hmm. Vaseline and whatever else, Bardish. Uh, the, the the bird seeds just stick to them, so the birds get them. Uh, Kevin sets up some fireworks, the police get them, and that's basically the end of the, the real plot, yeah. if you will. Uh, Act three, we just get the little epilogue bit. Yeah, obviously Kevin's mum uh, realises that he might be at the big Christmas tree at Rockefeller, so sure enough, she goes there and finds him. It's a big mm-hmm. heartfelt reunion, and Kevin left a letter on the brick that he used through the window, and he says, I'm yes. sorry I broke your window, but I had to do it to catch the bad guys who were robbing the place. Uh, you know, if, if you know, if we can get in touch, you know, I'm Kevin McAllister, I live in Chicago, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And basically, Duncan, I think his name is, the guy who owns the toy store, is so yes. thankful for what Kevin's done that he has a bunch of toys delivered to where his family's staying at the hotel. Yeah, there's this little moment where, you know, everyone's happy, Kevin's home, Christmas Eve, and then the next morning when they wake up, uh, Fuller is the first one to wake up. He wakes up Kevin and is basically like, Santa Claus came, he must have come, and Kevin's the first one to be like, I I don't think so, buddy. I don't think Santa Claus hits up hotels, but they decide to go check anyway, and it's completely full. All the presents are there. Yeah, I was making me wonder, like, where exactly in the hotel is this? Because this feels like it's their living room between all of their rooms. And I'm like, is this a huge suite this hotel has? Yeah, this is like the presidential suite. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, Buzz makes a speech about how Kevin should open a present first because he's the reason why they're actually at this great hotel with this mm-hmm. great amount of presents and stuff. Uh, Frank's also very happy for free stuff, as he always is. But we, yep. we know that. Apparently, apparently there was a deleted scene somewhere in the movie where... As they were like boarding a plane for New York from Miami, Frank was basically going to chew out Kevin and just say like, "Oh, this little kid's ruined our Christmas again," and the parents were basically going to verbally bitch slap Frank into submission. <laughs> I kind of really want to see that. Yeah, I think they probably wanted to end with the because the first movie ended with the like Buzz yelling about his room and Kevin being scared and running to deal yeah. with it. They wanted that moment again, which here is when Kevin's out saying, I'll never forget you, bird lady. Here's a Christmas present. Here's a turtle Here's dove. Here's my little turtle dove. We're best friends now. Buzz gets the uh, the bill from Rob Schneider, uh, mm-hmm. which is the, the, the room service the bill. Service. Why he's getting it randomly on Christmas Day before they've left, I'm not sure, but whatever. Movie needs it, so yeah, there it yeah, is. It's just pacing. So you just get the dad yelling, Kevin, you spent 900 and something dollars on room service. Yep. Which, damn... And he's able to hear that, like, across Central Park yes. as well. well. Obviously, it's unrealistic, but I think the joke is, is that he's so angry that the, oh, yeah, absolutely. the sound has traveled. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a nice enough ending uh, for what it is. Uh, there was actually a joke in the middle of the movie where Rob Schneider brings Kevin his underwear, and mm-hmm. Kevin says, oh, you want a tip? And he's like, no, 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 I've still got some tip left, and he's chewing the gum still. And Kevin just holds up a wad of cash and says, oh, no tip? Oh, well, then, fair enough. It closes yeah. the door. I like that. I liked it. Yeah, it was a good bit. I mean, that's... Going over the movie as a whole, it hits all the same beats as the first one, just, like, pretty much spot for spot, save for the extra hotel stuff. 
And that's both to its benefit and detriment because, again, there are so many ways to compare it to the first one that when it does something not quite as well, like The Pigeon Lady, it's super obvious as to why it failed. It's not something that you can be like, well, I mean, it kind of worked. No, it's just inferior in every single way. Yeah, The Bird Lady is definitely the worst stuff in the movie. Um, mm -hmm. I think overall, though, I still really have a good time with it. I think it's very funny in places. Arguably, some of the jokes are even better than the first one. But it's not as tightly paced. I didn't, but I do like the new motivation for Kevin to get involved. Like I like that it's this third party choice of like, no, I'm going to intervene here and stop these guys from doing something bad, even though it's got nothing to do with me, really. Oh yeah, that's because that was that the stuff. thing you said it during the review of the last movie that I, I I got, but I didn't quite see in the movie, which was that Kevin was defending his house more for his family mm. than for himself. I didn't quite get that from the movie itself. This one was out and fast saying like, no. I make my stand for yeah. the children's <laughs> hospital. Yep. Uh, and I, th I think that stuff works really well. Uh, mm -hmm. And I have a good time with it. And I think there's a lot of memorable moments. Is it as good as the first one or inventive? No. By its nature, it's a sequel that's repeating a lot of the, the beats. Yeah. But I think as sequels go, it's pretty enjoyable. And I think whenever I watch Home Alone, I pretty much always pair it and watch Home Alone 2 soon after. Maybe not right after, but it's always, if I'm watching it at Christmas, I never just watch the first one. You know, it's That's always the, it's always the two of them. You know. Yeah, I get that. So, so yeah, I mean, we going into ratings. Is I that think it? we are. I think we're rating the movie Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. What are you giving it? I think this one is a pretty straightforward seven point five. I think hmm. uh, there is enough in it that is on its own good enough to stand just as a solid film. I would be curious how well this movie stands up for someone who has no knowledge of the original because it is very heavily like required viewing more or less. I don't think you can really go into home alone two without home alone one, but even with that, the the biggest detriment to it is it is the bird lady plot. And for sometimes it gets a bit too unbelievable in places, but I don't think it's ever to the point where it strays into unwatchability. It's just, okay, this sequence is a bit sillier than the rest. So yeah. 7.5 for me. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, I can't go as high as an 8 because I you mm. know it's not a great movie. And I think saying something's an 8 means it's a great movie. I right. think there's a lot of nostalgia associated with this movie as well for me, uh, which mm. makes it super enjoyable, maybe even beyond the 7.5 I'm giving it. But I think 7.5, I, I am happy to say this is actually still a good movie. And I know that a lot of people do not agree with that it's, for whatever reason home alone 2 and ghostbusters 2 are the two that everyone on the internet that was around in the time period all think suck is like these terrible sequels that and i'm like you think these are bad sequels like just yeah. to, just to quote dark knight rises a little bit here <laughs> like i was born in bad sequels i was molded by them by the time <laughs> you saw a bad sequel i was not even a baby yet <laughs> okay. it's 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 one of those things where you can have a sequel that just completely separates itself from the original and try something totally new, or you can have the sequels that, you know, they they kind of do a half measure in that they stay yeah. pretty close to the original, they make a bunch of references, but they still try a new-ish plot. And I think Ghostbusters 2 is the other one that kind of falls into that same category where it doesn't quite do enough of either to satisfy a large portion of well. the people who want that. Well, we'll have a good conversation about that in a couple of months' time because when Ghostbusters mm. Afterlife 2 is coming out or whatever they're going to call it, they've not even given yeah. it a title yet, uh, we'll begin through that franchise. But uh, yeah, what's really interesting now, though, is that 
we're going to Home Alone 3, which I have seen and have some vague memories of. Mm-hmm. Um, my big critique at the time, even as a kid, is that he doesn't actually get left home alone. He's basically just left home during the day while his mum goes to work, but there's no plot about being left, like, to fend for himself. It's just, yeah. he's just, he's got a sick day from school, effectively, around Christmas time, and that's it. Hey, if, if the definition of home alone is you are in a building and you are the only person there. That's all you need. Yeah, but it's like, it's just, it's just for a few hours, though. <laughs> it's not it's not quite the same as no i'm I'm actually literally alone for like several days until no i get you get back to me i mean how many people you say home alone 2 is the one that gets crapped on how many people say home alone 3 is the dark horse of the home alone franchise well no one talks about home alone 3 exactly it's a very different thing uh and even less people talk about four or five or or six so we'll, we'll uh we'll, corner uh, the market I, I, there's a morbid curiosity going forward because we're into even though i've seen three before it's been you know 20 i mean plus i don't years. think i've seen three period none of it's ringing a bell to me so i remember there have been three villains but okay I, right, we'll get I, into so it. so having been home alone is a lot less convoluted from what i remember because it is just uh like while your mum's at work you're staying home um yeah but I think the villains have got a much more convoluted plot. Mm. They're not just All like right. burglars. I think there's more to it than that. But we'll find out next time. Yeah. We'll so, get there. Uh, real quick before we move on, does this movie make the cut? I mean, for me, I would say it does, but I don't know how yeah. strongly you feel. One nah, I agree. I, th- yeah. I think this is, like you said, it comes as a pair with the first one. I, I think that it, exists in that same sort of one and the other feed each other they're both solid they're both good and if i said the first one makes the cut there's no way i can't justify the second one as well yeah yeah that's fair so there you go that's home alone 2 uh we will be back Ooh. next time with home alone 3 you can of course let us know what you think of uh home alone 2 in the comments like subscribe all those things help a lot help more people find the show rate is five stars on itunes but of course the big thing you can do is support us over at patreon.com slash tv Keep the content coming, help keep the lights on, but also get some bonus content. We have two monthly bonus shows at different tiers. Uh, $3 and up, you get access to the Criterion Cut, which is where we review monthly uh, movies only from the Criterion Collection, so high-prestige mm-hmm. films. Uh, and then the other show at the $5 tier and up is Extra Reels, where we watch some of the worst things. It's the opposite of Criterion Cut. It's the worst of the worst. It's the goofy, bad movies. Sometimes they're so bad they're hilarious, but sometimes they're just torture. By the yeah. way, you can get us talking about those over on Patreon. Uh, so go and check it out. Plus, there's bonuses for other shows that we do, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that I do with Tim, Streams After Midnight, things like that. But that is the show. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, and also, uh, David's also doing the sci-fi movie podcast now, the Atomic yes. Cinema Experiment. So uh, hopefully you're enjoying his first few episodes on that that have been going out over the last few weeks. So If if not, it's all Pete's fault. I'm at his direction. <laughs> thank you for watching everyone we'll see you next time keep watching movies and what sort of idiots do you have in this podcast only the finest on youtube